Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. I want you to be solid, period. I want you to love yourself. I want you to be as fulfilled as you want to be by yourself, with or without money. Because then money becomes a tool that you can now use as an extension of you, as opposed to a core of you. And the beauty about that is when people are so solid, they have no trouble investing their money because they're like, with or without money, I'm good. All right. So tonight we have Dr. Latifat Akintade, aka Money Fit MD, uh, who is a gastroenterologist as well as a mother, a coach, a vlogger, a podcaster, and a, like I said, a coach to other physicians. So a very busy person, a very busy mother, a very busy woman. So I'm very glad to have you here on this podcast. Uh, thank you for your time number one, and just thank you for coming on to, to share with us. So welcome to Time Out with the Sports Doctor. Thank you for having me here. I'm looking forward to this conversation, chatting, and yeah, let's have some fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So on my show, like the series that I'm kind of wrapping up now, for the last five weeks, I've been talking to people about money, about investing, about entrepreneurship, real estate, things of that nature. But that's important but more important than anything is your relationship with your money and your mindset about your money so you are the perfect guest to wrap up this series for me so i'm very excited i've listened to a lot of your work and i'm really excited to talk to you about it absolutely mindset is you know we can call it mindset we can call it psychology of money the bottom line is this most times when people talk about having money it's not because they just want a bunch of dollars. Right. It's because they want a bunch of dollars and they want to feel good and empowered about it, right? Mm -hmm. But if we don't talk about that part, then they're never going to feel the feeling that they want from the money. So absolutely. Sure, sure. And yeah. even you know, when you're in, amongst friends or amongst colleagues, money is still a very taboo subject. Um, you know, How much do you make? No one really wants to touch that. And definitely when you start talking about investing, you know, people that do understand it don't really want to share their knowledge. And most people don't want to say anything because they don't have the knowledge that they know that they should have. Absolutely. There's a lot of shame. And we all, I don't know about you, but I definitely experienced that when I first got started or even before I got started. And when I talk to physicians, I mean, I work with a lot of women physicians, so I may say women physicians, but that's in general physicians. One of the reasons why we don't start is because we don't know where to look for help. And everyone looks like they have it all together. And so we have a lot of shame about it and we don't want to talk about it. And how are you going to get help if you don't talk about it? So yeah. I'm so glad that we're having these conversations more and more so we can demystify money. We can make it simple and fun and doable because the more of us have it, I think the better our world is going to be. Sure. So like you said, you are a women physician coach. So I've been on your website and I was hoping that it wouldn't realize that I had like a male email address and kicked me off or something like that. <laughs> don't worry. We don't screen. It's funny. Some of my uh, loudest, I should say, fans are actually men. Yeah. Some of them are not in medicine. However, okay. my people are my women, but I do, you know, I love men too. So y'all are very welcome in my, in my space. All right. Glad we have that behind us. All right. <laughs> so uh, will you please tell me about like your early life growing up, your family, what led you to medicine? Absolutely. So I'm Latifat. I grew up in Nigeria. I moved here when I was 18. And for me, I lived in a two parent family. My dad was the primary income earner. 
And my mom was the one that stayed mostly, she stayed at home for the most part when I was growing up. And the reason why is I have seven siblings, six girls and a boy. And I think my parents had this fear that if there was no one watching us, we're going to go crazy and come home like pregnant at the age of 10. <laughs> so for them, my mom was like, all right, this is, I got to do this and stay home. So she did. And so growing up for us, it was a lot of, my dad was the one in charge of money. And my mom was asked for permission when it came to money. They're both not physicians. They're both not college educated. However, I'm very grateful that my dad at a very young age realized the fact that in order for women to have a seat at the table and for them to actually have a voice at all, they are better served with education. So for us, our parents always encouraged us that we have to go to school. You need to get your master's degree, especially if you're a woman, otherwise no one's going to want to hear your voice. So that's kind of what we grew up with. So Education was something that we had to do, it was never a question because it was never, we're never allowed to question it. And then I have no idea why the thought of medicine came to my mind. I mean, I think it's really because I saw medicine practice in ways that I didn't quite like growing up. And I felt like I wanted to do a better job at it. So I always thought I was going to be a pediatrician because I wanted to be a good pediatrician that didn't give shots to kids. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Right. So that's how my journey started. And when I moved here at the age of 18, I realized that there were many other options where you could serve people and do good that were not in medicine. So I kind of explored a little bit. I explored, you know, being a scientist, being a researcher, that sort of thing. And the human part of medicine just always spoke to me. So for me, that was where it all started. And then once I got into the culture here, it's very hard to not see the disparities that exist in healthcare. Sure. And so I kind of fed back on my interest from when I was younger, which was we need to fix this ish when it came to healthcare. So that's how my interest in medicine became even more reinforced or re-energized. Perfect. So you mentioned coming to the States at the age of 18. Did you have family in the States or you just came over for college? So I had, uh, I had an aunt in LA who unfortunately okay. is late right now, but that was who we stayed with and it was to go to college. And she, you know, sort of just adopted us into our family and became a second mom to me. And I give her a lot of credit for the crazy woman that I am today. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you practice gastroenterology. So for my non-physician um, listeners, will you kind of explain what you do in your job? So <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be a gastroenterologist. I thought I was going to be a pediatrician and then primary care. And then in third year of med school, I went to UCSF for med school. I was in the OR and I'm like, oh my goodness, I love being doing procedures. So gastroenterology is a field where we combine our training in internal medicine, which is where we ask a lot of why things are happening. And we combine that with procedures where we actually do the what, and we're able to help people that way. So I do a lot of colon cancer prevention I do a lot of early colon cancer treatment. And my special love is in inflammatory bowel diseases, things like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And I absolutely love what I do because literally I get to talk about shit all day. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of doing anything else but that. All right. So we have an expert here. So let's talk about screening really quickly. So can you give me for males? or you know, not even for males, just colon cancer in general, age, what they should get done. 
and then I have a story to share. Well, go ahead. All right, I love this because you literally are getting me to talk about the two things that I love, money yeah. and GI. It's great. All right. So here's the deal, y'all. There are many things that can kill us as humans. There are some that we cannot prevent. There are some that we can prevent. Colon cancer is something that we can prevent. And our goal is to prevent it. But if we cannot, we can actually catch it at an early stage so that we can do something about it. So if you're listening to this and you want to have a family history of colon cancer, and, you know, we can talk about the details of it, but I'll just say, if you are like, oh, my dad, my brother, sister, or my uncle, someone's got something, talk to your doctor because you may need earlier colon cancer screening. However, what we're recommending is at the age of 45, we want everyone to get screened for colon cancer, especially if you are Black, African-American men or women, we absolutely want you to get screening for colon cancer at the age of 45. We've been doing a lot of the general population at age 50, but what we're finding is that colon cancer is becoming earlier and earlier. So again, we wanna prevent it, but if we cannot, we wanna catch it earlier. And I get a lot of questions about what's the best test. Here's my spiel. The best test is the one you get done. As a GI doc, my favorite is a colonoscopy because we get to really look in your colon, we find out what's going on, we remove it and you're done. However, if you're like, um, well, I don't really wanna drink that prep, I don't wanna do that stuff, then get a stool test done. Talk to your doctor, they're stool tests. They're not my favorite, but they're better than nothing. And getting screening can be very scary for a lot of people but getting diagnosed with colon cancer is worse. And getting diagnosed with colon cancer that we could have treated is one of the most painful experiences that I go through in my work. So please do your part, your life matters. I'm sure your family loves you. If they don't pretend that we love you because we probably do. And please get your colon cancer screening done. Hey, I really appreciate that. So thank you because I was still thinking age 50, but age 45, perfect. Absolutely, especially right. if you're black. Absolutely. So speaking of that, about being black and starting your screening earlier. So I, I'm still traumatized because I got to medical school and did my physical and I went in, I believe it was a nurse practitioner. And she said, oh, do you have any history of prostate cancer in your family? I said, uh, yeah, I believe so. She said, well, you should get started screening earlier. I said, I'm 26. So she said, it's never too early. So I got my first exam at 26, but thank goodness now the PSA is very sensitive. And I was told PSA is just as good or better than a digital rectal exam. So I'm really excited because now I'm over 40 and you know I should be getting that yearly. But anyway, let's move on to money. <laughs> Before we move on to money, right. the good news is you're over 40, so you're close to 45. So four years from now, I'm about to find you to make right. sure you got your colon cancer Absolutely. done. Absolutely, <laughs> I'll get it done, I promise, I promise. Good. All right, so tell me how you got the name Money Fit MD. Honestly, I just came up with the name. That's yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> and I, I wasn't being, listen, I'm nothing. I'm not fancy. I'm, I love simple. That's just me. And I've been talking about money. And the reason why I talked about money is because a couple of years ago, I knew nothing about money. So I set out to fix my own problem. And I realized that it was a problem that was very common, especially among women physicians. And I'm so glad that now we have an increase in conversation about money. However, some of the spaces are still not comfortable and welcoming and not filled with guilt and shaming. So my thing was I wanted to create a space where I, 
a space that I wish I had five years ago. So that's what Money Fit MD is or was. And then last year when the pandemic started was when I, everyone was scared about what was gonna happen with their jobs, with their sources of income. Physicians were freaking out left and right. And at some point I actually wasn't scared at all. I was just like, you know what? I'll be fine no matter what. But I, I'm grateful that I got to realize that that was not something that was common, that was actually rare because most people were freaking out. So essentially here I am sitting at the beginning of the pandemic with this tools that I have, which I've considered a hobby so far. And literally the world is like, we need help. So I kind of did what I knew that I had to do, which was offer it to more women so that we can fix this problem. And I couldn't figure out what name I wanted to use. So I'm like money, fitness, MD, and that just stuck. So money, fit, MD, it may change in future, but it's it's just the name right now. No, it fits perfectly, I think, because you have to work at it. Like you said, five years ago, you didn't know anything, just like working out fitness. Um, it's about the time you put in, you know, as far as what you're going to get out of it. And you got to continue to work out to get stronger in the field. So I love it. All right. So let's talk about, I was listening to you discuss scarcity versus abundance. And I really like that. Um, as far as a mindset piece. Can we start off there and talk about scarcity and mindset or abundance? You know, it's funny, like hitting all my, my favorite things to talk <laughs> about. You're like GI, yeah. you're muddy, and now we're scarcity mindset. And the thing is, is when I think about why I enjoy the topics that I did, it's because I really have experience with them because I've lived them. And I could probably write a textbook on scarcity mindset versus abundance because it's something that, affected me. It's something that's very common in a lot of families. Um, if you maybe grew up internationally, if you're an immigrant, if your family may have grown up with not having necessarily or a sense of not having, those make you at high risk for having scarcity. And scarcity is this idea that things are limited. And because it's limited, I have to hoard it. I have to keep it a lot because it may finish. And I know that sounds a little bit weird because that may be the reality for a lot of families. And I've had times when I honestly had nothing. So I know that at some point that may have felt like my reality. But what I try to remind people is there's a difference between when things are your current reality versus the past. But if you keep living like the past, you're never going to grow forward past the past. So with scarcity mindset, it is something that can show up in different ways. It's in showing up in how you spend your money. Right. I am so afraid or worried about losing my money that I'm not going to invest it. I'm going to keep it in my savings account only, even though I know that I probably would make more money by investing it. But I don't want to lose it because, God forbid, I lose that money. And what I tell people is most people that have scarcity mindset actually suffer from not having as much as they would have had if they're able to get through the scarcity mindset. Right, Because if you're less afraid of losing money, you would actually let the money go. You would invest it in the stock market, in real estate, in whatever it is you want to invest it. And I'm a huge fan of the fact that money likes company. When you let it go, it actually comes back to you and brings its brothers, its sisters, and its cousins to come mm -hmm. hang out with you. So the more we're able to let money go, the more money is actually going to come, come back to us. So that's kind of an idea, just to give you one example of how scarcity mindset can come into play. And how about how that, as far as abundance, as it relates to giving? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge fan of giving. And the reason why is I actually am very careful about giving because anything can be done for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. So even giving can be done for the wrong reasons. And if you have the wrong reason for giving, it actually is not wealthy. It's not living richly. But if you're giving just because you want to do good, because you want to promote, you want to build community, you want to grow whatever interest you're in, it comes back to you in many different ways. You know, I read a quote recently that whoever says money can buy you joy or happiness hasn't given enough. Mm. Because when you give, there's just joy in giving, right? And the bottom line is this, we're, we're in 2021, COVID is here. We know that life is short. None of us are going to die with and take this money with us. I'm not saying don't grow your money. I want you to do both. I want you to grow. However, when you give, it gives you so much joy and creates so much richness in your life that it's it's worth, you get more back in return for what you give in. I agree. I agree. You know, I try to actually, my wife and I, we love to give because we love the joy that you receive from others. If you can meet a need for somebody else. I feel like that's one of the best feelings in the world. And one of the things that we've really gotten involved with is we have Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So, And for each year, we have a Christmas um, program that we attend. And this is, I mean, the best thing that I've ever done for Christmas, where we bring in almost up to 100 families and we're able to give Christmas to them. And now that's something that you can't do by yourself. But once you start to collaborate with other people. And so the local schools and the local teams sponsor kids. So you have teenagers that are allowed to see little kids witness Christmas in a way that they've never been able to have it before. And parents breaking down, crying in the gym, you know, it's, it's great. So that's one thing, like, we really love to give and we're trying to instill that in our kids that, you know, you're blessed, but you're blessed to be a blessing to someone else. So you know, I really like that abundance mindset about giving, because if you're giving out a lot, that means that you're going to, number one, it's not all about receiving something back monetarily, um, but the joy that can come along with that is very, you know, it's something that you can't really express. You know, I will say that there is giving that can be bad. Mm -hmm. Well, and I use the word bad, not like bad, bad, but, you know, not ideal. You could give from a place of guilt. That's actually not ideal. I will say, and I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast before, but when I started earning an income, I gave so much that I didn't have. Mm. That's not good or wise either. I was giving pretty much taking my paycheck and handing it to other sources that I wasn't even doing things like even my 401k. That's not wise. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the reason why I bring that up is depending on what your audience is, I find that for a lot of families that maybe, you know, grew up in low income or maybe they're minorities, there are times when there's a lot of needs in our families and it's great to meet those needs. However, we have to learn from the heart. The heart perfuses first. You have to perfuse first because if you're broke because you're giving everything you have, you will be of no value to yourself or to those that you want to help in the long run. So if you're listening and you think that if you don't give everything you have that selfish, I'm going to actually challenge you a little bit and say that you giving everything you have without perfusing first is selfish because in the long term, you're not going to have to give people if you never grew or invested or grew your wealth. Right. I like that. Thank you for sharing. Um, now, 
you've worked with many different clients and I'm sure you have many different personalities and many different attitudes and, you know, emotions around medicine, um, around money, because I was listening to someone speak and they said, what is money? How does it feel to you? What are the emotions that you have around money? Do you have guilt about money? Do you have guilt that you do have money and other people don't? Um, do you have, how do you feel when you spend money? Does it make you feel you know, sad or, you know, what are the emotions? Do you have to deal with that when you're working with your clients? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people think that the only people that need a money coach are those that don't have money. I actually have clients that some clients have money, but they still don't have that feeling of fulfillment that they wish that they would have. Right. So it's the fact that they may be guilty that why do I have this money? Why do I have this generational wealth? And they end up not realizing that it's a tool that they've been given to be used for good. Um, so there's definitely that there's guilt, there's shame, there is embarrassment about it. There's the hoarding. People can hoard money. So it's all the entire gamut. And the thing is this, the way that I view money is probably a little different than how a lot of people view money. What I try to work with my people about is I want you to be solid, period. I want you to love yourself. I want you to be as fulfilled as you want to be by yourself with or without money, because then money becomes a tool that you can now use as an extension of you as opposed to a core of you. And the beauty about that is when people are so solid, they have no trouble investing their money because they're like, with or without money, I'm good. So guess what happens? they become even better because their wealth grows because they are good. So part of it is there's definitely a lot of emotions when it comes to money. We have to learn how to dissociate our emotions sometimes when it comes to money so that it doesn't drag us down and actually prevent us from growing. And fear is another big one, of course. Fear with investing, fear with making mistakes. Um, people have made mistakes in the past. They find it hard to maybe forgive themselves and trust themselves again. So those are some of the emotions that come up when it comes to money. All right. So I'd like to transition to how do you say yes to financial freedom? You simply say yes. <laughs> That's it. You simply say yes to financial freedom. And the reason why I say that, it sounds silly, but you have to ask yourself, what is financial freedom? Why do I want to be free financially, right? Um, I mean, I'm a physician and your audience or people that may not be in medicine may think, well, doctors should have money, right? However, the thing is this, we spend a lot of our years in training for what we do. And a lot of physicians spend a lot of time in the hospital doing what we do. And especially with COVID and even before COVID, there's a lot of burnout with medicine. So in order for us to be truly free, one is if my income as a physician was to get lost right now, will I be able to survive financially or will my family be struggling financially? If my family is going to be struggling financially, then that means that I'm not truly financially free. So that's what I try to get people to understand that it's not a matter of either or. It's not like, are you a physician or are you making money from something else? We need to do both. And if you're not a physician, that applies to you as well. It doesn't matter what you do for your W-2 job or 1099 job or whatever. The bottom line is diversifying our income sources is so important so that we can truly be free. And that is a gift to us. It's a gift to our families. It's a gift to the people that we serve. And the reason why is as a physician, when I'm financially free, I can use my voice for good. I can stand for ethics. I can say no when it's not in the light of my ethics, right? I am not as attached to the reviews or whatever that patients are saying, even though I do want my patients to be well, 
But I know that the more attached I am, the less effective of a physician I'm going to be because I'm not making the best decisions on their behalf. So that's the gift of financial freedom. I believe that freedom, financial freedom by itself is a gift, not for us only, but for our entire community. And I think we should all strive towards it. Yeah. So, you know, what you mentioned before about being an employee. So I dealt with that 18 months ago and I realized, wow, I'm really an employee. You know, I make a good salary as an orthopedic surgeon. However, COVID changed the game. You saw doctors being laid off, doctors being pay cuts, uh, cut back, you know, private practices folding. So the bulletproof profession of medicine (laughs) You know, I was already starting to realize, okay, medicine has changed over the last decade or two. Reimbursements are down. You know, now we fight more with insurance companies to get paid where decades ago, insurance, you didn't even really worry about it. But now all these different things that we have to do and hurdles we have to jump to do our jobs daily lead to burnout, lead to people just saying, hey, I'm done with this. Um, But at that point, I said, okay, Being a physician is great. However, I need to make sure that I have other things outside of my day job that I have to be present for that, like you say, I'm exchanging my time for my money and I don't have enough time to do everything I need to do, you know, and sometimes like, for instance, for the last six weeks, I couldn't do inpatient surgery because our hospitals were overrun with COVID patients. Who would ever think that, you know, a physician would be suffering during a medical pandemic, but this is reality of 2021. You know, 2020 we thought was ending, but it's still reality today, so. Yep, I hear you 100%. And that's the key, right? It's the fact that we only have 24 hours in one day. And to be well, we should not spend all those 24 hours at work. And to ensure that our income is protected, whatever source that is, we need to diversify income. And it's not a matter of spending our time, again, exchanging one-to-one ratio with earning. It's also about making sure that you invest in things that you don't need to sit down in front of so that you can actually build wealth while you're working, build wealth while you're living life. And again, the goal is to get money to the hands of people that are going to use it for good. And so the more money you have, guess what happens? It translates into good for the community. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So tell me, since you work with a lot of physicians, do you run into a lot of limiting um, thought processes as far as I'm a physician, I can't do whatever, you know, be an entrepreneur, be an investor. Do you run into that a lot? Absolutely. I believe that it's a completely normal thing for us as humans to have. Everyone has it. I don't care who you are, no matter how amazing you are, I promise you, you have it. But the goal is to learn the tools that you need to help remove them. And for those that are listening, you may be wondering, what are limiting thoughts? So the way that I describe them is they're literally things that you think of that may be preventing you from achieving your goal, as opposed to more empowering thoughts that help you achieve your goal. So for example, as a physician, I'm talking right now about, oh, you know, diversifying your income. You may be listening and the first thing you think of is, but I don't have time, right? So that by itself could be a limiting thought. And the reason why it's a thought is that, is that truly true or is that what you think? And you may be like, of course it's true. And that's the thing. It always seems like it's the truth. It always seems like the only truth. And the goal is for us to examine that and wonder, is it possible that you actually have time 
that you're not spending how you would want to spend it. And also what makes you think you have to exchange time for money, right? So we've been ingrained to think that in order to make money, we have to get up and like hustle and work hard. But maybe that by itself is also a limiting belief because is it possible that you could make money without hustling, without going to like go to work physically in order to do that? So that is what a limiting thought is. And it's, we all have it. We're all going to have it. But the goal is to learn the tools to identify and recognize it so that when you have it, you decide if you want to hold on to it or if you want to transform it into something more empowering. And it's interesting. I'll give you an example of a physician that I started working with recently. Um, amazing. All my people are amazing. Maybe I'm a little biased, but they are not because of me, but because they simply are. Um, and essentially amazing, successful and we started talking about things like how our thoughts can actually limit our finances and what we're able to achieve. And the first time she had heard about the word, but she didn't quite understand it. So, and then we had a conversation. I sort of like walked her through the process that I walked my people through in terms of being able to recognize. And then the next time we met, she was like, oh my goodness, my entire life is a bag of like limited thoughts. <laughs> and for her, being able to recognize this has actually been helping her now in a very short amount of time achieve the things that she thought she could not achieve. So I 100% agree that we all have it. If you say you don't have it, that by itself is a limiting thought. And the more we can recognize it and be sensitive and then convert it, the more you're going to achieve all the goals that you want to achieve. Yeah, as I was sitting here and listening to you talk, you know, the word like you said, we need to make money without working. That's almost like cheating for a position. You know, we're just ingrained to work, 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 you know, not to let our money work for us, which is, you know, just insane. But that just popped in my mind. I was like, wow, why don't, you know, I'm still thinking like that, even as I'm trying to transform into a, another being, right? No, absolutely. And we're all, and that's the beauty of it, right? It's completely normal to think those things. And then you just examine it and ask yourself. And it was a little odd to me before I would, I would be honest with you. I'm like, okay, that just sounds like it's cheating. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is what is investment in stock? You're not there holding the stock like sold to the high bidder. You're not doing all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So ultimately that is money that's growing potentially for you without you being there actively. So right. you, most of us are probably already doing that anyway. And what I remind people is we want to find our genie in a bottle is what I call the thoughts. We want to find a genie in a bottle and spray it everywhere. So we already know you're investing in stock market, you know, likely already. So you're already doing it. So in other ways, what other ways can we make this happen? How do you invest in other stuff that may be within your realm of authority or your goals that you may not even know already exist? So most of us are already doing that. We just need to take that GD and spring and other in more places. Yeah. yeah. So you are a mother, you know, a doctor, a coach, a vlogger, a podcaster. Talk to me about work-life balance. What does that look like for you? So here's the deal. I don't, I mean, work-life balance, it's like, what does that even mean, right? right. <laughs> I call it more like alignment is the way that I think more about it. And the reason why is I'm a physician. I'm a, you know, I work for a large organization and I absolutely love taking care of my patients. It's, I'm, it's a gift to them and to me. And so I have no plans of stopping that. And then I have this other part of me that actually helps me be a better physician. And then now it's like, I have three ladies, three little ladies that I absolutely love so much. But part of this is understanding that I have a choice in how I spend 
a fraction of my time. My clinical time, I've already decided that I'm going to spend it over there. But the rest of the time, I get to choose how I spend it. So for example, we're here doing a conversation, right? This is normally the time that my kids, they have specific times to watch TV or show during the weekend. This is a specific time. So this is a time they're watching their show and I'm not a huge fan of TV. And I get to rest, I get to read, I get to do whatever or chat with you, right? Mm -hmm. So there are ways of optimizing it where you can eat your cake and have it. And I also remind people it's quality over quantity because most times you're like, we wanna spend a lot of time with this stuff, but you could be there physically and be absent. Or you could literally be there for two hours and you both feel like you just spent 20 hours together. So work-life balance is so important. You can schedule the things that are important to you. My relationship is important to me. I have lunch with my husband almost every Friday. I plan everything on my schedule around that. It's blocked out, no clients, no coaching, no podcasting, because that's important to me. And the more we realize the power that we have, in making those choices and figuring out how it's gonna work out for us, the more satisfied we're going to be. Is it always perfect? No, and that's part of it, right? I've learned that it's not perfect. I'm always gonna do a crappy job and I get to do better next time. From perfect action, huh? <laughs> Perfectly imperfect, so that's, that's, the, right. that's, that's life. Yeah. All right, so I understand that you, so you're pretty new to podcasting, but before going into podcasting, you already had a blog. So tell me about the transition kind of between podcasting and blogging. So vlogging, I mean, when you think about the version or the format that most people like to consume, it's audio because mm -hmm. we all usually are busy. You're driving. That's when you podcast or you're lying down or chilling, right? Um, vlogging ap appeals to a different audience. And in my opinion, vlogging is actually the hardest because you cannot just record audio, you show up, you look maybe decent, right? And when I wanted to start, it was one of those, like you pretty much just jump in cold water and get it over with. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, we're just gonna get started by starting. All I need is my phone and just recording. And I, I think the story of my life, really, the story of my business, the story of my money coaching, it's all about imperfect action. So I started imperfectly by starting blogging. And then I was speaking with a colleague of mine a couple months ago. And she's like, oh, my goodness, I listen to all of your stuff. I listen while driving. I don't watch it, though. And I'm like, all right, sunshine. Yeah. That's all I needed. <laughs> so that's how I got into the podcasting world. And I have to say, it's not that much different. Um, the other thing, too, is podcasting may require a little bit of editing. So for me, my vlogs, I said I was never going to edit them. You get what you get. And you get used to the imperfection. And for me, if I was going to podcast, my business needed to be able to support, to pay someone to do my editing for me. So I started podcasting when I knew that my business could financially support the art of actual paying someone to do the editing for me. Yeah, because editing takes time and I'm still doing my own editing right now. So <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about because I'm yeah. paying someone. To do it. I hear you. I hear you. It's right? definitely and that's worth the it. Thing, right? That's so, the work-life balance and time stuff we're talking about. We all figure the bottom line is you just get started. And as you start, you figure it out and you decide what hurts the most and you find someone to pay to do what hurts the most and you keep growing. So absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me about life coaching or coaching other physicians, because, you know, this is something that I was not really aware of as far as 
how it pertains to your money or, you know, even when you're starting a business, having a coach to make you more efficient or to kind of point out, hey, you don't want to go down this road because I've been there before. So tell me about, number one, why you got coaching for yourself and what do you do for your clients? So I knew nothing about coaching. Well, except athletes, right? Athletes Mm -hmm. have coaches, if you think about it. And actually, the most successful people in businesses have coaches. But medicine, I think we're a little bit behind the curve a little bit. And we were not aware of the fact that coaching can be a tool that can help us as physicians. I knew nothing about coaching. I kind of pride myself on not being someone that follows like a crowd. I'm like, no, my own person. I make my own rules. I'm not going to do it because everybody's doing it. But uh, two years ago was when I decided to start investing in real estate. And like a lot of people, I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of concern. How am I going to do this? And I live in California. Real estate is expensive. How am I going to succeed as a real estate agent or real estate investor? So I chose to take a course. And that course was an eye opener for me, to be honest with you, because I remember sitting down, listening to, it was the content plus the idea of removing your brain or your mind and your thoughts as a hindrance. So every time we said we cannot, it's like, how can we, right? Mm. Well, it's impossible. Could it be possible? Is it possible that? And I'm like, those questions, simple questions actually transformed my brain from being like, there is no way out of here to what if there's a way out of here? And I will be very honest with you. I had a moment where I actually almost cried because I'm like, you mean the key to success is this? And no one ever told me about it. And I had that moment and I'm like, I have to tell everybody because you know, there's a lot of disparities in medicine. There's a lot of disparities when you talk about finances. And I had a moment where I'm like, you mean this tool could actually help us breach some of those disparities? And so that's where I'm like, I need to learn this so I can help people that look like me people that maybe identify with me get more money into their hands because when we do, guess what? We put it back into communities that we care about and that's important to me. So that's how I got into the idea of coaching. And then I sat down and I'm like, okay, I'm a snub. I believe in getting the best. And that's where I've been trained. I'm a UCLA (laughs) girl. I'm a UCSF girl. You know, I'm like, I want the best and nothing wrong with that. So I sat down and figured out what the best that was available to the best of my knowledge was, and I got training in it. And it's been the best gift that I've given myself. It's been probably the highest investment outside of my medical school, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. Not just because I do it as a business, but because it's transformed my life as a human, as a money person as a, my life is richer as a physician. I help my patients differently with this coaching tools, but specifically when it comes to money, you know, I remember this quote of whether you think you can, or you think you cannot, you are right. right. And that difference is just the power of the brain and how a small shift in how we think can change everything. So when I take financial education and I combine it with the power of being able to shift our minds, my clients are successful. I'm literally yet to meet someone that is beyond help as long as they're committing to get the help and take the steps they need, because it truly is the reason why financial education hasn't worked for a lot of us. And when we can figure out the mindset piece of it, which honestly, that's psychology and it's 80% of finance, really, 
success is inevitable. So it's, it's like, a, it's just works. And I think everyone should have it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, no, 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 no. When you just, the way you flip the question and I heard it so differently, you know, you pose the question one way and then you turn it around and the light is on, you know, but that's what working with someone who has done it before. And like you said, I just finished the book, Start With Why. And, you know, like you said, when you had that moment where I felt cheated, I, I almost felt like, like you said, I almost cried because I felt people have withheld this from me for so long. You know, now I have it. I have to tell others, you know, that's all you need. That's that why you can tell people why you do. I mean, what you do or how you do it. But the way that you so just eloquently said why, that's why people will say, OK, I got to follow her. Yeah. And that's the thing. The people that I love working with the most are, I mean, I love women physicians, but I particularly love people that have a goal for creating impact. People that are humanitarian, people that want to give. Because when I think about the people that have the lowest, it's typically those people. And it's not because they give everything, but because they've been taught or conditioned to think that having money is bad and you have to choose between doing good or having money. So imagine a world where people that want to good, do good have money. That's it. Right. And it's just, it's just a powerful tool. And I mean, as you're exploring, you know, that book is a very, it's, it's a Simon, uh, Simon, something, I forget his last name, Sinek, but it's a yeah. very, yes, and a great book. You will, you will have, a, you may have a moment where you're like, you have the secret to, to, to just clarity and world and everything. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And now you're like, I have no choice. I'm going to like scream it from the rooftop in a podcast and a vlog. And I don't care if you pay me, I'm just going to yeah. tell all y'all because y'all need to get it. That's, pretty much it. That's perfect. So. All right. So on timeout with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout. All right. So what do you want to leave my audience with the guests, your followers, you know, that are, might be struggling mindset saying, man, she has it all figured out, but I can't see myself doing that. So just kind of break down, how do you go from limited mindset to where you are now? Okay, so I'm gonna ask you one question. And the question is, I get that you think that it's not possible. And no matter how much I tell you that just a couple of years ago, I was also just like that, you may never believe that, okay? So we're not gonna argue with you, but I'm gonna ask you a question and just say, Imagine if it was even possible that you could be, what would you do? What would you do? Like what, just imagine if it was even remotely possible. If you think it's 99% impossible, maybe it's 1% possible. Like what step would you actually take? And the thing is, there's no one size fits all. I'm not gonna say this is gonna work for you. However, if you feel like there is more to life, there is more you want to do, there is more that you're called to do, there's more that you think is in line with your purpose, I hope that you will kind of explore and just see maybe there is a chance that I could also do good. I could also own this. I could have money. It, maybe it's possible that everything I've been taught about money and wealth was actually wrong. Is it possible that people that have money can be good people? Or is it possible that I can actually use this as a tool for good? So just start to question. That's all. I'm not trying to make you be who you're not, but I just challenge you a little bit to question a little bit and you will see that it's possible for you. And honestly, 
like I mentioned earlier, I'm just a girl with a dream. That's it. Nothing fancy. So if I can do it, if I can go from being broke and multiple negative six-figure net worth six years ago to where I am today, it is possible for you. And I've heard a lot of stories and everybody thinks that they are bad. And they're like, well, you have no idea how bad I am. Listen, I'm not impressed because I bet you that I've seen stories worse than you and they can change and so can you. So there's hope. And that's that's what I would leave you with. Yeah, that was strong. And, you know, as you were talking, I thought about Les Brown. It's possible. You know, he has some very dynamic speeches about, you know, like you said, you can have 99% against you. As long as that 1% is there, the possibility is there. Absolutely. And the more you focus on that small percent, the more it grows, the more it grows, the more it grows, the more it grows. And do you have a book or a quote that you would like to leave the listeners with? Ooh, let's see what book. Well, you know, the quote I'm going to put is the one that I shared earlier, whether you think you can or you think you cannot, you are right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. Like you said, the kids are probably wrapping up their movie and they're looking for mommy. She's hiding from us. Where is she? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to get this information out to my audience. Thanks. So how me. can they follow you, you know, on Money Fit MD? I know your podcast. Tell us about that and tell us about your website. Absolutely. If you want to hear more about how to create a rich life, um, go check me out at Money Fit MD. A lot of my audience is women physicians, but it applies to men as well. Uh, so it's the Money Fit MD podcast, and you can listen to that on all your major stations. Um, my website is moneyfitmd.com, and you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. And the goal is just change your life. There are people waiting for your life to like blow, you know, explode. People waiting for you to just get to work. Now, it's work. <laughs> all right. So I'll include that all in the show notes. So once again, thank you for your time, and thank you for joining me on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace.